host, Alex Kessler, rocking the friggin' DN and the Model Nose Band t-shirt, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman in the Nike jumpsuit. Uh, how are you, Ben? It's not a jumpsuit. I mean, it's like a... We can't. It's we don't know what's below the belt, so I'm just imagining a jumpsuit. <laughs> I do think it's funny. So this, this is a quick tangent as we start the show. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for showing up. We're going to be talking about lots of modern related uh, and, and exciting things. We, you and I, actually have a really fun show today because we both opened up a whole bunch of Modern Horizons too, and like I can't wait to talk about it. But um, I went to a screening tonight of the new Purge movie, and you know, it, it's like. Uh, why did I do that? Is that the, what you're asking? No, no, no. I'm just I'm wondering where this tangent goes in relationship to Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I go to these screenings, you know, a couple days before the movie comes out, and I a lot of the other critics I see. But I used to go to everything in my entire life professionally in a suit. Everywhere. Every uh, place. Oh, yes. Okay. I used to just only wear suits. And sometimes you actually would see me, like, at the office in, like, a hat and, like, a Nike thing, like, every once in a while. A jump suit. Yeah. <laughs> like I, number one, like many people, gained a bunch of weight during quarantine. And number two, got used to wearing like sweatpants that are really comfortable. Like they're a lot more comfortable than like tight leather belts and like uncomfortable shoes. So like tonight I was going to the screening and I was like, well, do I like try to squeeze into this or I could just like put on this like half zip. And then I was like, I guess this is like what people do that don't think about putting on a suit all the time when they go places. They just wear stuff that's comfortable. Wow. I got this at Disneyland and, last weekend. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so I just thought it was funny because like, I do wonder once we're back to a fully normal open world and people are going places all the time. And I'm used to just being out like for a whole day as mm-hmm. opposed to like for an outing. Will I go back to that? Or am I going to get used to just like dressing real cash? Is that, I wonder if the whole world is going to get used to dressing more cash after this. Uh, it's going to be interesting for the East coast, right? Like, you the reason you did the suit thing is a, partially because it was an anomaly on the West Coast. Other than at like red carpet events and maybe some talk shows, most of the West Coast's formal wear is not is not suit like people do not go to the office in suits, right? I remember right. going to college having grown up in LA and like literally didn't bring a suit with me. I don't think I owned one. <laughs> I think the last suit I got was my bar mitzvah suit and like all my roommates had multiple suits, and they're like, "Why? Why don't you have a suit? What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've never needed to wear one." And then, like, literally, I went back home. Thanksgiving was like, "Dad, I just need a suit. What's like one that you don't wear anymore?" I still have that one. It doesn't fit. Nice. <laughs> it was nice, like baggy nice. and like because I'm taller than my dad and skinnier right. than him, so it was like like it was like definitely a little too small, but it, it worked out. So. It's not an LA thing, but uh, but so f- for people that need to know, uh, we are talking about um, just as far as subject matters goes, and we can continue on that. We are both uh, the D and D set is coming out. Uh, we're going to be talking about what the rules mechanics are, what the different mechanics in the set, how they we, how we think some of them might apply to modern, uh, some of the cool cards. But we're also going to talk about just opening packs uh, since basically I'll drain and a little bit before that. Uh, w- Wizards has started implementing new pack opening experiences there's now three packs per set plus bundles plus commander product plus etc and we want to talk about just kind of like what it's like opening those three packs how we feel about them we've now opened them in a few different ways um and then how some of the cool stuff that's going to be in the commander or the new dungeon and dragon set that's going to be in these packs that, that were announced which i think are really cool and then we'll break down the rules yeah i think it's kind of crazy now when you think about like so I, I've been into Magic since 95. You got in, I think, uh, probably back in like 2009-ish, 10-ish, something in, there, in that range. Yeah. 
Um, so we've both been around for over a decade of opening packs and having these different experiences. And obviously, as our lives changed over the years, you know, sometimes you buy more cards, sometimes you play more drafts, whatever, right? Um, but the thing is, over the years, the experience of opening packs was very consistent for a very long time. Like the products that were available for the majority of the time I've played Magic in my life were very consistent products. They would come up with cool stuff like they would come up with something like a commander product. That was a cool thing 10 years ago they started doing. And that was awesome. And it was like new cards that were interesting. And they would do things like the from the vault. You know, that was like a cool, exclusive premium product. Nowadays, there's so many different magic products available at all times, whether it's like secret layers. And as we mentioned, three different kinds of boosters per set, premium releases, more sets, just like so much stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually pretty hard to keep track to even know what's out there and like, why you should be buying what you should be buying. And I think it's actually one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about this today because number one, Horizons 2 is amazing. It's so much fun to open the packs. The cards are incredible. I'm like, it's the most fun I've ever had opening packs were these packs. The collector, the collector's packs. Well, that's something that's interesting that happened to you, right? You opened, you bought a Box of Modern Horizons 2 booster packs. Draft uh, boosters. Draft boosters. And then we're kind of like, oh man, this was fine. But like, I don't feel like I got the vibes I wanted and then I had opened up a collector box and you're like oh it's dope <laughs> and yeah. then you went and bought you're just like I'm gonna buy a collector's box and you went and 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 did it and the pack opening experience there though much more expensive was like you like value you've opened was worth it and the opening experience felt worthwhile correct? well I mean I think yeah I also I mean much more expensive ah, debatable like I think in reality I think the box of Horizons is like when I got it, it was probably around 260, something like that. That's around the range they were going for. Mm-hmm. And for a premium set, that's like not bad. It's it's less than 10 bucks a pack, you know? You're seven, eight yeah. dollars a pack. So you hope you open some good stuff. I saved a few of the packs for our chaos drafts, you know, just mm-hmm. so I can put them in the box. But I was like, okay, like, and I opened plenty of good stuff in there. I got some really cool stuff, but I, d- I wasn't getting like etched foils and like really sick, like, you know, fetch lands and stuff like that. I just wasn't right. getting the stuff that I really wanted. So, is a, like about a little less than 400 for a collector's booster box. And so it's 12 packs instead of 36 packs. But let's be honest, most of the stuff in the draft boosters, I don't care about anyway. Like most of the commons, I'm never going to touch. Like right. they're irrelevant. The fact that I have so many more physical cards from that box, it matters to me not at all. The fact that I opened a third of the number of cards in the collector's booster box for not even twice as much, for like 35% more in my cost. But what I opened... Almost every single pack had something I was thrilled about. A lot of packs had like five things I was thrilled about. Right, right, right. Well, you can open packs. Like I opened a pack that had like two Urza Sagas in it. And I opened another pack that had a foil Marsh Flats and a regular Marsh Flats in it. Full yeah. art. So it's like, yeah, it was especially in a set like Modern Horizons. So so I've opened up collector boosters for Strixhaven and Modern Horizons. Um, I was just like so in on Strixhaven. I also like really loved the like the variant versions of the cards from that set. Um, and obviously Modern Horizons too. There's a lot of value there. And both times I with the collectors boosters, I definitely feel like I opened my money's worth, right? Like you're opening yeah. really cool stuff. The alternate art versions of things you're getting consistent. Ver- oh, it was the, it was the mystical archive, right? That was, that was the thing with Strixhaven. That was like a big deal. And like the mystical, like the, like the, the, the value you were able to get, as long as they create that value there with those cards, it becomes all worth it. Like getting, getting two foil mystical archive counterspells, one in Japanese and one in English, like in, 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 in a box is like, the value is there and even like 
you know, right afterwards it goes down because time passes, but like in the long run, they're going to be worth a lot of money. And like, so, so from that perspective, if you could afford buying in on the first one, it makes sense. The, the, the other thing though, is like opening pack and this is wizard's goal, right? And we haven't talked about, about uh, uh, set boosters versus draft boosters or whatever, but wizard's goal was for multiple decades. Set bo- uh, draft boosters were it, right? Every booster pack was a draft booster. And, the the tried and true lesson is don't open booster packs, <laughs> right? If you talk to any content creator, talk to us, don't open up draft boosters. I have boxes of my winnings from pre-releases that we use for chaos drafts now, but like of just packs from everywhere back to like, I think I have, I have some scars of Mirrodin's packs still left, even though we've opened a lot of those at this point, but like, cause you're not supposed to open them. You're supposed to draft them. That's what draft boosters are for. It's bad value. If you're going to pay for magic to pay for constructed, you should buy cards, buy singles. And the only reason yeah. to open up draft packs is if you're playing limited, cause that's what these are sets are designed for. The majority of testing goes towards limited, but from wizard's perspective, no, we want you to open packs, <laughs> right? Well, like right cause pack the- opening is fun for a beginning magic player, pack opening is fun. There's a reason people like opening packs. Yeah, it's really a fascinating conversation because for, since the dawn of time, the intersection of art and commerce has always been sort of like, and, and I use this example to I'll, you know connect the two, but like the intersection of art and commerce is always like a difficult thing to talk about because like if you are an artist, if you create film, if you're a musician, whatever, like you want your art to be respected and appreciated for your art. But the people who are promoting it and trying to sell it uh, they need it to make money. Otherwise, they can't promote it and they can't sell it and they can't support you and you're on your own. Right. So with Magic, it's the most wonderful game and we all love it. And those people that make the game, all our friends who design Magic cards, they're not thinking about how many packs they're going to sell when they make a sweet card. They want us to play with the card. They want us to play with the card and love the card. That's what they want. They want us to, they know they have to sell cards for the company to work, but they, they have no like connection in their mind of the quality of a card they make and how successful the set's going to be. That's not like the conversation because they're not the ones making that decision. It's their decision to be creative, to come up with the best possible version of the game they can. So when we talk about like the idea of they want you to do the thing that is most profitable for the company, they being Hasbro, they want the company to be worth the most like dollars to do that. They sell packs. People open packs because it costs very little to make packs. Well, yeah, uh, yes, yes, of, of course. But I guess I guess more my point is, is they sell pack. That's why they focus it on limited so much, right? That's why the conversation has moved towards limited as far as the design method for decades, because limited is the highest chance people with open packs in a way that's valuable to them, right? Uh, versus like, because because every set has the, I don't know, there's not a good name for it, but there's like a, a, a break point where People will just open packs, right? Like it, yeah, yeah. retailers exist. And if there is cards, if the cards value in a booster box is on average going to be worth more than the cost of a booster box, then stores will just open those booster boxes. There's no reason right. if I'm if it's an unlimited product run, this is only applicable to unlimited product runs. If it's an unlimited product run and there is value in the packs worth more than on average than the cost of the box then every single retailer that sells these boxes is incentivized because they make more money on singles because the markup is better on singles just opening the boxes until that will just have an effect on the market decreasing the value of all those packs right, the, right. like that's that's and that's why sometimes you get weird outliers like 
uh, Jace, both Jaces, right? When Jace was $100, where if that's the only card in this set that is worth that much money, then then it becomes a lottery. And that's what Wizards doesn't want, right? But you have like one card that's worth $100. That means every other card in the set's not going to be worth anything while that set's in print. You could open up... You, it was smart now, in hindsight, to open up World Wake boxes because you would get... Uh, Stoneforge Mystics and Celestial Colonnade and and yeah and and uh, Creature Lands. So like that would eventually pay for your box in the long run, and you would have maybe opened up a few Jaces. But there was a while where it's just like Jace was more more than a box because you were guaranteed to get one Jace in every two boxes, on average. And so he was worth the cost of one and a half boxes. <laughs> right, right, right. And but and and even then, I mean, even then, the thing that's so interesting about the value and, and the concept of value as it pertains to the value of a card or a pack. It's the value that someone's willing to give you for that card or that thing, which if I open up my box of Horizons 2 and I have all these sweet cards and the price of what it apparently goes for on TCG player per card is X, unless I take the time to set up my own TCG player store and sell every card one at a time, I have to sell them to someone else. Yes, basically. And I have to sell. Yeah. Yeah, I've sold them someone else for 60% of what they're worth. So they can mark up the other 40% because they're taking on the risk. Right, which so is like, the other the other argument for buy the card singles you want versus opening a pack. Because even if you open up value, it might not be the value you want. Correct, correct, yeah. So that's what the world looked like. <laughs> and Wizards yeah. realized people... The people want to open packs, right? I want to open packs. Like that's that's like a thing people want to do. And then we we learn and are taught, and the way that packs were being made were a system that made it so that it was never a good idea to open packs. So I'm dumb for doing the thing that I physically want to do. <laughs> so Wizards sat down. I was like, okay, how do we make packs opening cool? Well, on one hand, we've now done a few different releases of master sets, which were higher value oriented packs that people were willing to pay upwards of i think 15 i think ultimate masters was 22 dollars, but 15 dollars ish on average pricing um so we know that there's a there's at least a market for people that want to open packs that are just worth more and have like get more guaranteed value in them and are willing to pay a premium price for those we've also found um ways in those sets that maybe there's ways to create a better opening experience and at the same time for a long time, the most popular YouTube cha channel content was pack openings. And it's still true for Pokemon, right? Like Pokemon is an entire business model based on just people opening packs and then selling the packs to stores or doing box breaks where people can like subscribe to donate money and then that helps pay for the box, etc. cetera. Um, and so there's even a model for opening, but opening a pack is really boring because it's basically like, here's a bunch of cards that don't matter. Maybe there is an uncommon Maybe there's an uncommon, like there's a path to exile or a whatever. One rare and one out of every six packs is a foil. And maybe the rare is mythic. And most of the time those cards suck. So like opening magic packs classically sucks. Um, but then they came out with set boosters. Then they came out with collector boosters. Kind of looking at both of those demographics and like, okay, how do we make pack opening the most exciting both from an opening experience perspective and a value experience perspective. And let's create three options to the extent where right now buying a booster box of Modern Horizons 2, unless you're going to draft it, a draft box is the worst option. A set booster is the most affordable and will get you the best value. And a collector booster is a guaranteed amount of value. It just costs $400, but you're guaranteed to make your money back on it. 
Yeah, I haven't spent four hundred dollars on a box of magic cards maybe in my life, if I'm being honest. I can't think of the last time. Maybe for some sort of retro draft or something. That's like that's a lot of money to spend on a box. Yeah. Like a normal box of actual boosters that you buy of a draft booster set is like a hundred bucks. So like it's four times as much for a third of the packs from a regular box. It's just the step up from a regular Horizons box to a collector's box is not as steep. But I also, when I ordered my initial box of draft boosters, I didn't choose draft boosters because I thought that was the best choice. I just forgot that collector's boosters and draft boosters were both available because that was some change that happened at some point over the last couple of years that like, and then COVID, yeah. like I just didn't really interact with it i forgot that existed and i went on amazon it was the cheapest one and like that's when the one i ordered looking back it's like that's pretty confusing we're we're content creators we've talked about this on shows before and it like sort of still escaped me that was even a thing i have to think that most casual players who get into magic have zero idea of the difference like, well, they and and then to the extent that there's problems right i like when i bought and i'm glad i did because we'll, we'll get into what's in each of these but i bought a box of japanese strixhaven i pre-ordered it set booster thinking it was a a a draft booster box also this was before i knew that you could get the japanese archive card in your in collector boosters which i also pre-ordered and that like those are the two products i bought i didn't buy a regular box of strixhaven and the japanese set booster things like oh this is not what i thought this was this is a totally different thing and then i opened it i was like oh this is better this is actually what i probably wanted here because my plan was to just open this you can't draft with japanese you know I don't speak Japanese, so it would be very hard for me to draft <laughs> Japanese products. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, opening it is fine. And so another reason that like getting set boosters in foreign languages is fun because you get the cool things. And and so I want to kind of walk through really quickly what the differences between these are because it is a little confusing, right? And that, as, as you're saying, it's hard to know. And they did launch in COVID, right? Like the, the set booster article was written for in July 2020. And the first, I believe oh, the first collector's booster box was for Ikoria. So both of them came out literally for, maybe it was for, maybe there was one earlier, but I believe it was, Ikoria was the first one. People are going to tell us we're wrong in the chat and love to hear it. Sounds <laughs> like there's a reason that I was confused about this. Yes, because <laughs> it has, it did not exist in, in you have not been into a store and played a game of magic since these existed. Um, so three versions. Uh, and, and I can talk towards and, and SRP is hard because it's different everywhere. Right. But to, for for Modern Horizons kind of talking through it. But normally it's like two hundred and fifty for a collector's booster, one hundred and twenty for a set booster and under one hundred dollars for a draft booster. And a draft booster is what booster packs have always been. Fifteen cards uh, for, you know, a set amount of rares, commons, uncommons. Sometimes there's like a special slot like Strixhaven. Every pack came with one of this like a mystical archive card. Um, when we go back to Innistrad, if there are flip cards guaranteed, there's going to be one flip card in every pack and some of them will be rare. Some, you know, like they can do cool stuff with it now, but the classic thing is these are meant to draft one rare on average per pack, etc. Once in a while, there's foils. Sometimes there's one foil in every pack, same kind of deal. The next version is set boosters, and these are super complicated. And I have the whole article that Mark Rosewater had written out to kind of explain it. But basically, there are... Uh, a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, there are 12 magic cards, 14 cards total. That's what it is. There's a thing right below it. I don't have to count. <laughs> and every pack is going to come with a art card slot. And those are cards that are literally made of the artwork from the set. I have a bunch right here. So you can see them in video form. They look like this. They're just key artwork from the set that look really cool. And on the back 
is just information about them. Something that's very cool about the Dungeons and Dragons set is that they're going to be all the monsters from the set. And they're going to have the stats in D&D of what those monsters are in D&D. So you can use these cards in D&D to keep track of monster stats and the fight against them, which is a cool alternative thing for that. But for this, normally most of these sets have these cool art cards. That started actually with Modern Horizons 1. Um, then you have a land slot. It's always a foil land. In uh, the collector boosters, they're all etched foils, but there's always a foil land. You then have, um, where's the number? Art card slot, set booster, land slot. Uh, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Six connected commons and uncommons. It's the reason that these are bad for drafting. Like you cannot draft with these packs very easily, and it's because these six slots are belong together. They have something in theme. They're all black cards, or they're all one faction, or they're all have the same mechanic. So they're all meant to kind of lean in together. So as you're reading them, you can like, oh, this is a cool story being told together. You then have what they're in this article they call the fireworks. And there is a head turning slot, which is uh, always going to be an alternate art. It's because now they've added all these cool new alternate frames, right? So you have like the sketch cards or the full art cards or whatever. It's going to be one of those, but there's going to be commons and uncommons that can be that. So it's going to be one of those, but you don't know which one. Uh, so rarity isn't necessarily guaranteed. Uh, you're, and then there's a wild card rarity slot that has, this could be, Anywhere on the scale, it can be a rare, it can be a mythic rare, it can be an uncommon, uh, and so in different percentages of what those are, so that has different rarities. <laughs> it keeps going, but this is the point, right? Like as you're opening it, stuff is cool. Everything I've described is cool already. Even the six random cards have like a theme to them. You then have the rare mythic slot, which is just regular rare mythic slot. This is part of the big finish. Uh, and then you have the foil slot. So there's always a foil here. There's always a rare. Both of these are going to be dope. Um, this is why you can like pull two full art things in a set. And the last one is what they call the epilogue. And often this is a token card. It's always a foil token that double-sided or every 25% of the time, it's a card from the list. And that is a Selection of cool reprints, all of them can be really valuable or iconic, everything from a muscle sliver to a pact of negation. They add and update what's on the list every set. So often they're adding cool stuff that's new, and it's just meant to be something really cool and flashy. But the idea is every single card in the pack is cool. As you cycle through it as a pack opener for video purposes, here's cool stuff. And the value is there um, beyond what would normally be a draft pack where literally the only card that matters is one. So like literally every card in this set matters. They're not as premium as say a collector's booster where like it's this taken to the next level, but it's a similar kind of experience. And then collector's boosters is that everything is foil in that middle slot and you get the art card. Um, you get the big finishes, but both like guaranteed foil. It's just like kind of up, up, upping the ante of what I just described collectively so that they're just even more worthwhile and you have more options of getting premium cool cards. Yeah. Now the, what's the price difference between the collector and the draft? Cause I know, I know that, or sorry, uh, the set and the draft, like how much more expensive is a set booster than a draft booster? The Strength 7 set booster pack on Amazon. Our collector booster pack is $23. Uh, a set booster pack is 28 divided by six. 28 divided by six is 20. It's four and change. So four and change. And then hundred divided by 36 for a regular pack. This is on Amazon. So it's like in a bundle in a weird way. 
Got it. Yeah, I mean, so that that makes sense. It's basically yeah, yeah. it's basically so, it's basically like it's basically three seventy five five ish. So and a, then a set booster box is one hundred and four dollars of Strixhaven. A draft booster box is less than a hundred dollars, and a collector's booster box is two hundred dollars. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's it's not actually very much more expensive to get a set a, a, a set booster box than it is to get draft boosters. It's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Which is why the value would be much higher for Horizons 2, and that's what I should have done, which is frustrating. But what are you going to do? Well, you, you shouldn't have opened it, right? Like, the point of a draft... Like, the point of draft boosters now is to just draft them. All of the rules that people have always said about booster packs, draft boosters is still true. Don't open them. Keep them closed. It's set boosters are what you should... If you're looking to just open packs, just yeah. buy a set booster box. And if you're looking to have a little bit more guaranteed if you're looking to spend money but want a lot of really cool stuff then buy the collector's booster but the collector booster is the most expensive and and people are pretty much across the board saying the best value for your buck in modern horizons is a set booster right if you're going to open packs because there's all the stuff i just described is just enough of premium product and the chance of open some cool stuff that you get it and I, one other thing i will say is that pack opening is better in aggregate than it is in a single thing. If you're just going to open up one set booster, just don't open packs. Right, right, right. But if you're going to open up a box, you get the you value. Can, you get you get you get, you get some together. of the value of what's in there. And and the more packs you open, the better the value is over the long cycle. Don't go too deep. We're not giving you like you should still probably just not open packs. Like if we really want to be honest, just buy singles on all of this. If you want to invest well, in the modern ah, instead of buying a collector's booster box, I I don't agree. If just for pure value, a hundred percent, if you're, if, but that you're, we're talking pure value, like in terms of a couple dollars, like it, I, I will say is it, collect the collector's booster was such a fun experience to open. And because of what I opened out of it, it, I would, I would have, I'm sure been able to more focus what I wanted and just buy the single cards. And I could have gotten probably a smaller stack of exactly what I wanted, but the experience of opening packs is really fun. Like it truly is really fun. And so getting that experience for that money was a worthwhile experience, much in the same way that like going to see a movie, you know, it's, I'm not, my life doesn't change, but seeing it in theater is a great experience. I'll pay for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. If you don't enjoy opening packs and, or if you're looking for specific cards and you have a yes. budget set aside that you, and you want specific cards with that budget, don't open a boot. Don't, don't open a collector's booster. But if you have like 20 commander decks and you don't know exactly which cards you want, but you're going to open packs and see what cool things you get and maybe buy a few singles on top of that, then it's worth it, right? Like that's what I'm doing with it. I have enough decks that I can shuffle these into in a cool way that like, that I don't even know what I really want. And, and di diving in and being like, oh, what which one of these it gets, especially when it gets to like random commons and uncommons, because that's the opposite of what happened. There is a chunk of magic that I just like don't own any uncommons and commons for basically everything from past shows over Innistrad to to now or to to Kaldheim. I just like don't own uncommons and commons from those sets. And and what sucks is like stuff when when like there is an uncommon or common that becomes for you know 20 bucks or 10 dollars and i'm like oh i just don't own any of those so now i have to pay and if i had just drafted right you would have a chunk versus of on arena i would have you know whatever amount of of the green what's the green one drop that i'm blanking on that's like really good green one Tyrant. drop protection from blue and black until in a turn draw a card if someone casts a blue and black spell this turn oh, oh veil of summer veil of summer thank you is that worth 20 dollars <laughs> i think it's worth like 10 wow crazy so yeah, so it's 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 
I, what I would say is that the value is no longer not there to open packs and it is fun to open packs. Yeah. But if you are looking for specific cards and you'd rather spend your money on constructed than just having cool cards and you don't have a place for just having cool cards as part of your life, then it's still better to buy packs or to buy, to buy, to buy singles. Yeah. Have you gotten draft horizons two yet? No, me neither. Me neither. I have not gotten to draft it yet. I've just opened a whole bunch of packs, but yeah. it seems really fun. I like, I was even thinking about maybe this Friday, maybe just jo- like going. I'm sure people will still be drafting at, F- at FNM probably. Yeah, yeah. Or organizing when I have a box. So, yeah. Well, the thing about doing the whole like, I have a box, let's all open my boxes is that you don't get any cards. Not that That's I need true. Horizons 2 cards. That's true. I, it's like, also free, right? <laughs> bought a whole bunch. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. But I, I notice anytime I ever do that, I always feel like that, that experience that I like of drafting a bunch, and that's how you pick up a bunch of the cards from the set is a fun experience. Sure. One that I like. Um, yeah, but but they're 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 both valuable. So uh, that product is out. It's an awesome product. Uh, I think it's one of the better products that they've made in quite a while. I'm really satisfied with it. The modern metagame is awesome. We've talked about that a little bit and just how much of an impact this seems to already be having, which is really cool. And then on top of that, there are previews that are now starting for this brand new Dungeons and Dragons set. Joe Manganiello yes. previewed a card. You see that? No, but that's Joe not Manginello. surprising. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's sweet. What did he yeah. preview? This like super sick wolf. It's like green, green for a three, three. Oh, oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's dope. If whenever it attacks, if you control creatures with total power six or greater, draw a card, and then it also for five mana or four mana can turn into like a five three until end of turn. Yeah, yeah. Werewolf pack leader. Yeah, yeah. Until end of turn, werewolf pack leader has base power and toughness five three and gains trample and isn't a human. Yep. And then and then that that's like a an interesting mechanic of this set, of the like, if you attacked with creatures with total six or greater uh is like a is like a is a thing that would have been keyworded if they didn't do the thing that they're doing which i do want to talk about <laughs> but right, yeah so right, right so we're gonna do bigger reviews of this set as we move forward we've obviously spent uh a good uh half the episode talking stuff so we're not gonna be able to go over card for card and we'll be able to talk to that there's cool cards there's a birthing pot for artifacts there's beholders so uh, but but getting more into like just like the rules of the set and what that's looking like. And and there's a few different like key mechanics. I guess the first one we can talk about is that, right? There's the, uh, it's almost like a ferocious-esque ability of like, if X amount of, if six or more power of creatures have attacked this turn, bonus. And that is that is meant to be the dragon tribal feature of this set, right? Like that, there, we're going to have, I think there's, I think they said 16 dragons, which it looks like there's a cycle of five, one color, uh rare drag un- uncommon dragons then green dragon black dragon it'll be the the blue dragon red like it'll be all five colors because that's in 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 dungeons and dragons i know this because i read the Dragonlance novels um, <laughs> so like the the uh the color dragons are evil they're all evil dragons and they'll probably be one of every color and then oh, they're, they're called green dragon black dragon gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're like in dungeons and dragons if you meet a green dragon they're a poisonous dragon and if you meet a black dragon they have acid breath and 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 a red dragon has fire breath. A blue dragon has, I want to say ice breath. Uh, and then um, I don't remember what the white, I don't think there is a white dragon or if it might be white or if there might be a different color, whatever. There's there's five color or yellow dragon might be what we see or purple, whatever. I forget what they all are, um, but they're colors. And then there's the metallic dragons, which are all good. And so there'll be five metallic dragons. Each of them will be a, um, 
a gold colored dragon. So we have the red, white, uh, one, or a <laughs> joke. There's gold, adult gold dragon, which is red, white, three, flying lifelink haste, four, three. And there will be probably a silver one, a bronze one. There's like five. Okay. There's there's like the shiny metal ones. And then it looks like we're getting a cycle of legendary. Um, it doesn't look like we know we're doing this. We're getting a cycle of monocolor legendary dragon. So we got an Ebon Death Draco Lich, which is a... Um, is a two black black two zombie dragon five two flash flying uh it enters the battlefield tapped and then you may cast it from your graveyard if a creature not named ebon death draco lich died this turn so it's kind of like a a, a grave crawler-esque mechanic that you can keep bringing it back uh which okay. is cool got um, it, got it, got it. flash flying five two for four and then so yeah so there'll be there'll be dragons of those and then there's the big one there's um what's it called the the tamamet the like dragon god Tiamat or something Tiamat. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he costs Wooberg two for a seven-seven flying. Yes. When so it enters the battlefield, or you cast it. Search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that each have different names. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. That's it's a beast of a card. That's going to be something. That's going to be a hell of a commander. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, another just like five mana dragon commander. I don't think it's better than the other ones, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on, right? There's dragon tribal. Uh, and since it's called Dungeons and Dragons, the other actually keyworded mechanic is dungeons. And these, this is a really cool mechanic. So basically it's kind of a combination of like companion meets learn meets, uh, sagas. Right. And so basically there are, there are three dungeons. There's dungeons of the mad mage, lost mine of the Fandel Fandelver and tomb of annihilation. And they're literally magic dungeons. They're on a magic card. They're, they're D and D dungeons. It has like a room that you enter. And then when you enter that room, you get a thing and then you can choose to go to the next room. And then there'll be a branching path where you can choose to go either left or right. And then as you go through these rooms, you get benefits. And the way it works is, they exist outside of the game. They're not in your they're not in your sideboard. And then as soon as you play a card that says venture into a dungeon, you get to either you you then summon is <laughs> the word I'm going to use. But then one of the dungeons that you have on the side and you have to pick one of them, but it could be any one of the three enters the command zone, but enters an outside of game area that you can interact with. So the same place that um uh, 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 experience counters go or infect counters go. It exists in that realm. So it's not, not an, it's not, it's not an exile zone. It's not an exile zone. It's not in your sideboard. It's in the zone that energy lives. Got it. Okay. Like a special zone. That's and still so, referred to as the command zone. I think is that they all live in that same zone, but that's the, that's where it's living. It's living in your, in your infect area. So these these exist in your thing, and then you venture into one. If you venture into it, it now enters your command zone, and you have to choose which one you do, and until you finish it, you can't pick another one. And then you add a marker into the first room. And then if an ability triggers for it to move forward, and there's stuff like there's a Planeswalker, Elowick of Tumblestrom that has a plus venture into a dungeon, so it can you can go to the next room every turn as their plus ability. Other different things have different reasons you do so. And as you move forward, you get more benefits. So for instance, in, we'll talk about Lost Mine of Fandelver, since uh, Ben loves Delver so much. Uh, so you enter, <laughs> Delver dungeon. You, you enter the cave, cave entrance, you scry one. Then the next time you trigger the ability, you would move into, you get to choose. You can either move into the mine tunnels, create a treasure token, or goblin layer, where you create a 1-1 red goblin creature token. Then... If you venture again, you have the choices of moving into three different rooms. Depending on which room, you can access different ones. And then at the very end, you enter the Temple of the, uh, 
Doom a Thoin and you draw a card and the thing goes away. This is one of the easier ones. There's one that lets you summon a big 4-4 black uh, god horror creature co token with death touch at the very end. Another one lets you draw three cards and then uh, remove them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. Well, so let me ask you this. So you, you mentioned that there you, you, you can pick any of the dungeons. As they continue to reveal more dungeons... Is it like I play a thing that says venture into a dungeon and by like there's potential I'll have 13 dungeon cards. I'll choose which one. No, I no, want. no, no. So there is exactly. Yeah. So there's only three cards. There were only ever not only ever because we might revisit this mechanic in the future. But in this set and for the time being, there are only these three options. For sure. That's been confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Confirmed. There will not be any more dungeons previewed. So all venturing, you will choose one of these three. You can have all three. And when you do your first venture, depending on what matchup you're in or depending on which game state you're in, you might pick a different one if you're playing a dungeon deck. Um, but all of them will only do one of these options. And what if the card that you use that had you enter the dungeon dies? Do you still continue through the dungeon? Well, well, each each it's a it's a triggered or activated ability, right? So you will if if you have no cards left that say venture in the dungeon, you'll just stay in the room you in. You got the benefit from the last room you were in, and then you won't move forward for the rest of the game. Got it. But if you got get it. another card, if you draw the next one, you can keep moving forward the dungeon. The dungeon isn't attached to the thing that entered the dungeon. You're entering the dungeon. Got it. Got and the it, thing, it. The, the thing is like motivating you down the dungeon path. It sends you to the dungeon path. But so like, let's pretend that I enter the dungeon with my card. Now I'm in the dungeon. Yes. And now I draw another copy of that same card and I play it. I enter a separate dungeon. I can no. be in two dungeons only, at once. You can only be in one dungeon and every card just continues down that dungeon's path. That's why it's always venture venturing into the dungeon, both either uh, summons the first dungeon entering the first room or continues down to the next room. I see. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, because what's interesting about this is like there are certain mechanics that when like when they were described to me were very confusing. Um, you know, one that comes to mind, I remember was mutate. I remember mutate was a pretty confusing mechanic when it was previewed mm -hmm. in practice. Once I started playing with mutate, it's very simple. It like doesn't feel complicated at all. It actually just makes total sense. But when we talked about it in the first place, when we talked about mutate, when we talked about adventure, there was like a bunch of stuff over the last couple of years that felt like kind of weird. And mm -hmm. but they they that's the, the whole thing is they spend so much Learn. time testing these cards out. Yeah, that they test these cards out and they find that they play well and if they don't play well. They're not going to print them. Right. Pretty and much. I, and I think with this, it's like it sounds way more complicated and way more like, oh, this is going to ruin constructed or I, it's going to be so annoying to play against this in commander. Like, I think these are like really simple. It's just sagas. But instead of once a turn, like like mutate has so many weirder corner cases, right? Like cloning a mutate creature or bouncing it or or like flickering it. Like all of those are weird with mutate, right? Yeah, Where yeah. like in this you play a card. It says venture into a dungeon. You pick a dungeon. You get that first effect. The next time you venture into a dungeon, you get the next effect down the line. The third time, you get the next effect. The fourth time, you finish the dungeon. Cool. You're done. You get the big benefit. That dungeon goes away. If you play another card, you get that dungeon again or a new dungeon. There'll be some cards that say once you complete a dungeon, you've completed a dungeon. So now you get the bonus, right? You get uh, This gets double strike as long as you've completed a dungeon. So it's like it's fine, but it's all pretty self-explanatory. This is This is a mechanic that like I think people are like reacting to it a little bit more scared than, than I am. I think this is going to be like, th this seems so much less complicated than mutate or, 
or even companion, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because all this looks like to me is that you have a card and it's in your deck box and you play a card that says to bring that thing out and then you put it on the table and now it's off to the side just like a commander would be and little things are happening. One thing I can tell you from Suspend being such a mechanic that I love so much is like that it's okay to just have a card that is over to the right that's not in the game that's just like ticking. One thing is happening per turn. It's an extra thing to remember. And if the creature that is in the dungeon dies, you stop advancing in the dungeon. It just sits, just sits there until you play the next creature that has you advance, correct? Yeah. So it's, it stops even being a part of the game once the creature is dead. And, you know, then you have to re-enter the dungeon. But it, So you don't re-enter. If you play another card, you're already in that dungeon. That correct. just moves you through that dungeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more like energy, right? Like, theoretically, we are always outside of a dungeon. In every game in Magic forever. For the right. future of magic, every player will always be just outside of a dungeon. And then as soon as you play a card that lets you enter the dungeon, you're in the dungeon. And you get to choose one of the three that exists. You probably, like, we're going to see how the tournament ruling works, but you probably could bring it up in your phone, especially at lim- in, in, like, a limited event. Though my guess is these are going to be pretty bountiful. And you'll move down the dungeon. You'll just, like, enter it and start doing the rules. And if you're, and your opponent can fight against it like any other card, and it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the I think the dungeon mechanic is pretty cool. I, I actually like it. I like these three dungeons. I think all of them are pretty simple and just seems like extra, just extra cake, like yeah. just fun stuff. And I imagine in limited, they're going to play a lot like learn cards, right? We're just like they're going to be really cool, really sweet, flavorful ways of like it's something like this and treasure. And it's what treasure food and clue tokens were used for in um, Modern Horizons 2, which is. It's cooler ways to have draw a card on a card. Right? That's what Learn was. Learn was like, oh, here's a way. It's like slightly worse than draw a card. It's slightly worse, especially in older formats than draw a card. But it's sometimes better than draw a card. And allows us to put cantrips on effects that normally wouldn't be powerful enough at different converted mana costs. And this puts it over the edge. So it's kind of, it's like better than scry, worse than drawing a card. And that that middle ground is something that Wizards has always wanted, and they're finding really creative ways to do it. That's why we're seeing treasure so often, right? That's what treasure is. Treasure is slightly better than Scry, slightly worse than draw a card. It's ramp, and it's powerful, but it's not broken. And that's what food was, and, and that's what clues are. And I think this is in a similar boat of like that same, t- same type of effect. But now you don't have the weird accidental brokenness of, oh, artifact tokens in play can just be broken by themselves. Yeah, it, it is uh, it is interesting to think about the fact that I love cantrips. I've always loved cantrips. It's like one of my favorite things. And if a card draws me a card, then I like always feel it's better. I think I'm not alone there. So it is fun to think that like I do think that they know that. And I think that all the things you're talking about are their way to play with that. And that's just more, I think, of what this is. And it's because I think most people feel the same way. Most people feel the same way about magic, which is that drawing cards is fun. You usually want to do that. Um, being reactive to things is usually fun, like having a way to like answer something, you know, mm-hmm. or like interact with someone and not get like pantsed. So I think anytime that they figure out ways for us to do that more effectively and in a more common nature, I think it's good for magic. I actually right. think it's, oh, it's the same thing with good early, good late, the split, you know, split cards. Like these are all things they pay attention to. They get feedback and that's how they then design cards. Right. And this is, this is my complaint towards 
the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like every right. time they preview one of these new mechanics that's like really cool and is doing something totally out of the box, there's always going to be like the th- feels like 30% of people and it's probably less than that. 10% of people and fans, if you're one of these, I apologize. Um, who just complains of like, Oh, this is a new too complicated. It doesn't feel like a magic card. This is different than what I'm used to. Right. 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 And it's kind of <laughs> like learn was dope. I like love learn cards. I have like a foil. What's it called? Phoenix, like sitting right in front of me right here. Here's a Japanese, uh, 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 first day class. Like I think learn was such a cool mechanic and was one of the more fun limited things. It was like the last time I was excited to play standard on, 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 on arena. Um, you have, or it's like the first time in a long time I was excited to play standard on arena. You have like companion and you have like even companion was cool. I know companion like broke magic in half, but like, I think it was like, like a tough one. Yeah. I think the solution for it was great. I like love mutate. I like adventures are great. Like, I, I don't know. I like, I like them playing with the space that's available to them. And, and, and like, especially cause this stuff feels not broken. Right. The problem with companion is that it was too powerful. It wasn't like deck building restriction bonus cards are not too right, powerful. Right. 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 It's, right. It's just free card is too power. Like free creature that you consistently have no matter what on the turn that you get to play it is too powerful. But like if they printed something else, like you start with five extra life. If you only have creatures in your deck, like maybe that's better. Like there, maybe there's ways to do companions that aren't, aren't as broken as, as what we got. Um, and I'm sad. We won't see it. Cause companion was so broken that they like decided that they will never get that. But, uh, <laughs> well, it sucks too, because it sucks too, because like, I, <laughs> I know they're, I know they're ubiqu- like they're ubiquitous. Like people play with companions. They're very popular, but I don't like them as they are. I liked them the way they were. <laughs> I, I, I like, I like, I think that they are more balanced in their ability to be a part of the game now, but I don't ever want to spend three mana to put something into my hand and then cast it. That's the antithesis of what I want to be doing. Like spending a bunch of extra mana. Like I understand that it's powerful to have like a free card essentially in all games if your deck can support it. But the way they were designed is a much cooler way. Like that's a, they should have just cost more and that's what it should have been. They all should have just been more expensive if they needed to be. Right. Like, a different like, restriction. Yeah. Like the, like obviously Luros and Yorion are still seeing a ton of modern play. Tons, yeah. Uh, and, and, and so like, it's hard to argue when, when Luros is the most played creature in modern, that the fix that they did wasn't the correct fix. But <laughs> it does also mean that none of the other companions other than those two see any play. Versus all of them were seeing play in some versatile way. In Commander, it sucks. I have a cool Obosh deck. My deck is awesome. And it would be much better. Like, it's kind of bad. And it would be better if I could just play, like, like Obosh for five. <laughs> like, Obosh Wait, isn't so in, good enough. Even in Commander, you can't... You have to pay the three. What? That's so dumb. That's so stupid. And it's like a real I, restriction there, right? Like playing with only one, three, five, and seven drops is a real restriction in Commander. I'm trying to build. I literally have a pile. I have an ALK altar of Loros with me right here. I'm going to show it off because it's like really cool. I didn't say the bad word. I almost did. Uh, and Carson, uh, who was uh, on oh, our, yeah, our episode. So it's an sweet. old border Loros. 
That's really Hopefully cool. Hopefully it focused. Focus. Okay, it's not going to focus. Not really, but it, but it looks it's awesome. Yeah, it's Luros, and it looks really, really dope. He did a whole series of them. I highly recommend it. Um, and I'm trying to build a Luros deck. This pile of cards right here is a Mardu, uh, Akiri, Miara, Luros pile that will eventually be a deck. And it, the only reason I'm playing with these two cards is because they're the only two cards that allow you to play three colors with Luros. Literally, your choices are, you if you're going to play with Companions and Luros, you have to play Miara, so you're just stuck with Black Elves for some reason. But you can't play green. There's no green-white thing, so I can't get green-black Luros Elves. I have to play, it's either white or black. You have a few white-black card options. Uh, your your horse friend that you love so much, and then oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the knight, the knight that does blinky things. Knight that does blinky things. I don't even know his name, but there's a legendary creature that well white and colors from command that has companion that lets you exile things, and then you can put things that are exiled back. He's not good. Got it. Uh, he's like kind of fine. Um, but so you can do those are the two options for black white, right? And then and then and then Akiri is the only option if you want to do a different an additional color. I would kill for a one black <laughs> like a different two color two thing to play Loras in a different color combo, or even just like not. Akiri and Miara, a elf, a medium elf tribal commander and a medium red white artifact commander. Whatever. Okay, we don't have to complain about this, but it's I such a huge Akiri restriction. Myself. I'm a big fan of Akiri. Yeah, yeah it's gonna be great. I'm I, like I'm excited for Akiri to be just like a cool threat in my Luros commander <laughs> deck. But like it's a real restriction. I have to go through a lot of effort and I'm still going to have to pay three mana to get Luros into my hands. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the few, it's one of the few examples I can really think of of like a pure fail, like a pure fail in design where it's just like, guys, like this was, this, this should like, I want to see more. Well, that's, I, I can't like, I want to see more of them. I like hope there's a commander set. Like I, I want to like feature uh hermit druid, uh, who's who's a magic content creator and TikToker uh, more because he's created like this cool almost semi commander format where he's like doing Karuga uh, with um, what's the green guy who comes down and uh, I have wait I can just look at it it's right here Kodama uh, it's Ko- Kodama Shakashima and Karuga commander deck and it's bonkers and it's super re- cool and. I have my Obosh one. I'm now trying to make Luros happen. I've seen like, like they're just so sweet and awesome that like, I wish you could, I want more companions and I want more partner commanders. Give me yeah. as many cool things in my command zone as possible in commander. It's so bonkers. I agree with you. Actually. I think, I think that the partner commanders are one of the best design choices that they've ever come up with. I think it's such a cool, it's such a cool addition, especially because the cards themselves are sweet cards. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like think- they're, they're not just good because they're right. because they're partners. They're also just like sweet anyway. That design is like really really awesome. Yeah, I think I think the mistake of the original partners was there wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, it, it became so it became, and there's no way to fix this problem. I think there's two mistakes. One, it made just four color decks possible, and I think four color decks in in, in commander are kind of lame, but. That was that's like that's a band-aid that they were eventually going to rip off, and there was no way that they weren't going to do it. And once they did it, the cat's out of the bag. So, like, fine. Four color commander should exist in commander. It just ends it's not my favorite. Two, though, there's just not so many options. And eventually, just like you figured out these are the four best ones. Once that was solved, it kind of came boring. They added Thirty-six of them, I believe, new new companions and or new new partners and like cats out of the bag. There's no there's no best option. 
There's no right. best combo of these 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 cards, and which just allows you to come with all these really cool creative ones. Now I just want like, I want what I would love is at least one more cycle of allied colored gold ones. And I honestly probably would love two new allied colored command, uh, allied uh, uh, partner commanders and one more additional cycle of enemy ones. So kind of the inverse of the last time we got them just to get that full three options for each. Let there be more creativity in your color combos. Make it so you don't have to play one of the two really powerful blue-green ones. Like, come up with a bad blue-green one that has, like, right. a really cool, like, tribal synergy or, like, leans into an ability that's not dumb and broken like Thrasios and the other one. And, like, come up with a cool black-white one that's not Tinma, that's not that good, but then that also isn't, like, five mana, doesn't do anything for two turns. I just, I don't know. There's cool, it's such a cool ability. I want more of it <laughs> so badly. Yeah, I, I think it's really, really cool too. And I think I think that they know that that, like, that was a success. And I think they'll continue to lean into that as we get more Commander Legends products. I think as we continue to get more products in the Commander sets, like that feels like a direction they'll for sure go. I would be surprised if we don't have a Commander Legends set within the next, by the end of 2020, by the end of 2024 for sure. And I would even say 2023 is likely. Oh, earlier than that for sure. Yeah, I think, I think it's 23. It, it, Legends, it's, Command, it's Commander more, Legends was a fun set. That set was really good. It's more by the launch of Commander legends i don't know if there's enough time in the release like i think they already had 2023 planned out there's another there's one more rule thing that they did with this set that we haven't talked about and that yes. is ability words galore yes so normally historically in magic there are two types of named mechanics on cards there's keywords and ability words keywords really easy to remember right they're trample First strike, they are words that have rule text associated with them, even if you don't have reminder text. Extort is this. Dash is another one. Suspend is another one. Uh, learn is one kind of. Those are keywords. Keywords are words that if like you just put on the top of the card, you don't have the reminder text. Players have to know them. Like They make magic harder because the more keywords there are, the more words I just have to know before I can play. But they make it so you can put more stuff on cards. It's simpler. It's easier. Often when we go to sets, that's like the big mechanical pushes. The other one is ability words. And most of the time, people interact with them the same way, right? Uh, ferocious is an ability word. Magecraft, I said. Uh, Metalcraft is an ability word. Landfall is an ability word. These are things that have no rules text associated with them, but often are grouped together and do all the same thing. All landfall cards are when a land enters the battlefield, thing happens. All magecraft cards are when a spell is cast, thing happens. Right. Uh, all ferocious things are if you have a four power toughness thing or eight, I forget if ferocious or the other one, whatever. Um, if you have X amount of thing happens, you unlock this card. Delirium. If you have four of these things in your graveyard, this ability is unlocked. And normally they're used for grouping to make it easier to remember like, oh, this probably just works like those other cards. Once I know this, it's easier to understand. The Forgotten Realms is deciding to do a different thing with it, which I think is actually really cool, though I've been in arguments on Twitter and TikTok all day about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're throwing that out the window. What they're instead doing is using it for flavor. So in instead of using like flavor text, well, and, and the thing you know the difference between a building keyword is keywords are, are, are standard font. Ability words are always italicized. And classically and, and always, if you see a word that's italicized on a magic card, it means it doesn't have any rules function. Like it doesn't mean okay. anything in a rules oh, ability. Fla flavor text, flavor text, sure. And, and ability words though, right? Like my point is an ability word will always have written out next to it every single time all of the things it does. Okay. okay like a metalcraft yeah, sure, card sure, says... Sure, 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 like join, join forces or... 
Right. Uh, Metalcraft. Yeah. Like Metalcraft says, it, uh, uh, Mox Opal says, if you control three or more artifacts, this taps for one mana of any color. Right. You don't have to have it say Metalcraft, right? It every, Everything that the card does is written on it. Metalcraft is just there so you know, like, oh, this is going to work like every other Metalcraft card. It's a reminder text and often used as flavor uh, in regards to how this interacts with other like gotcha like, okay so, like, so, like so, so, so stuff ability words versus keywords right. I, that makes sense I'm, I'm following you now but the dungeons and dragons set is using it like flavor text so think like for instance black dragon has the ability words acid breath when black dragon enters the battlefield target creature and opponent controls gets minus three minus three until end of turn Green Dragon has Poison Breath. When Green Dragon enters the battlefield until end of turn, whenever a creature an opponent controls is dealt damage, destroy it. No other cards that we know of so far have those words that do the same thing on them. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's naming the ability of the dragon purely for flavor, but to like, make a real understanding, and it adds a lot of flavor, right? I know way more about a Green Dragon now because I know it has Poison Breath, and this is what Poison Breath does. Right. Right. That's I mean, that's like super interesting that you bring up. Uh, why with the decision that they decided to do that for this one, do you think? Like, was it just for the pure flavor of it? Like that's necessary because it's d and I think I think part of it is that I think part of it is uh, the, the other type of card you see it a lot are uh, these um, moments that happen in the story. So so you find the villain's lair is one blue blue. Choose one. So I just you, Ben, you and me are adventuring. We're adventurers. We just we just found the lair of the villain. We've been working to get this tour. We have two options. We can foul their scheme, counter target spell, so we can stop what they're doing, or we can learn their secrets and like delve into their bookshelf and find all their stuff. And then then we would draw two cards and discard two cards, right? So it gives way more flavor to a blue blue one counter spell or draw two card modal spell. Yeah, you know, loot loot two modal spell, and the other one is like giving creep like. So much of Dungeons and Dragons is like, I have a character and I've learned multiple abilities. And so there's a cycle of commons that are like inspiring Bard. Also, Bards are bat or magic. Just when we were talking about things that we're looking for the set, that was like my number one thing. Hyped <laughs> that we have Bard creature type. Yisan needs to be a Bard. Let's let's eradicate that immediately. But uh, inspiring Bard, I think part of it is also there's so many spells in magic too, or in Dungeons and Dragons, right? That they're not going to make every single spell, but this allows them to make a creature that enters the battlefield and either casts bardic inspiration, classic bard spell, target creature gets plus two, plus two, and then turn in magic or song of rest. You gain three life. So we like you, you get, you get more of all of this customization part, which is part of Dungeons and dragons into magic in a similar fashion. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the set to do it in if they're ever going to do it. I do think it's too much. <laughs> like, I don't think it's too much. Like it makes it bad. I'm still really excited for the set. Like without a doubt, I'm excited for the set, but I definitely think that I know that I will see these cards enough that I will get used to the different cards. Probably, I guess. I hope so. I also know that like, there are plenty of people who like, can't remember the names of cards to keep them straight ever. There are plenty of people who can't remember the names of abilities on cards or what, what the slight variation of one thing is from one thing to another thing. Again, like the difference between certain mechanics, I tried to explain to you like goad and provoke or something like that. Like I'm sure there's a logical explanation why they're different, but they're also in my mind. Like right now, I probably couldn't explain clearly which either one of those did. Um, so, but, but you don't need to know that. I so yes totally I understand for flavor purposes it is cool I just think it's sort of that thing of like if I'm a newer player maybe and I read poison breath 
And then I see the next card says something breath, acid breath. I might not read it closely enough and just assume that they do the same thing because that's what magic teaches you. Well, but I think, I think, I think it's the opposite. I think if you're a new player, because like coming from a new player's perspective, you just think, oh, abilities on magic cards are sometimes just named. Right. Like I don't. That, that, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess like, maybe, maybe like, it's oh. an old lazy player then I see it. But I, I, I just I just think it's a little too much. It's very cute. I don't okay. know that it was necessary. You like it. Oh, I would. I want this forever. I yeah. like I think I think magic should incorporate this technology in every set moving forward. I think it's way cooler to have a car. Like, I, I think it would be way cooler that let me find a random card that would maybe have this. I, I think what you're saying is that from a flavor perspective, it illustrates what the card does in a much more unique way. That's cool. This dragon has acid breath. That's what this does. Yeah, yeah. Like like if uh, this is sedge sliver and if it just said all slivers have um, swamp strength this creature gets plus one, plus one, as long as you control a swamp. Yeah. Like I would remember that better actually than, <laughs> than having to remember all of this text that's here. Like, I think it's like a, it, it gives flavor to moves. That's a fair point too, because one of the things with memory is that, uh, mem like the way memory sort of works tends to be that the more specific an image you can create in your mind, the easier it is to remember the memory. So if you're like trying to remember exactly what a card does and it's described as acid breath or fire breath or whatever, uh, and, and, and that keyword is illustrated in the actual ability, it's much more likely that you'll remember it, which, so I guess to, to that end, it's a lot of text, but it's true. And some it's of it like ties saying. it together, right? Like, like one of my favorite cards I saw today was gelatinous cube, which is like a, one of the few, I've only played Dungeon Dragons a few times. Uh, I know like more from Dragonlance novels than the actual games. I played RPGs, but Dungeon Dragons specifically not a lot, but gelatinous cube is a thing I have fought and they're scary, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's slash slow and dumb. It's two black, black for a four, three ooze in golf. When gelatinous cube enters the battlefield, exile target, non ooze creature and opponent controls until gelatinous cube leaves the battlefield. So it's like an O ring effect on a creature and then dissolve, X black put target creature card with mana value X exiled with gelatinous cube into its owner's graveyard. So you can like permanently get rid of it instead of if they accidentally you, like they could try killing your cube and you could like pay to put it in their graveyard so they don't get their creature back. Right. So you can is like your is your recent D&Ding uh, getting you like that much more hype for this, you think like you like, oh, I want to play D&D now. Like for a while I was kind of like, oh, I'm fine playing Savage Worlds, this like different RPG campaign system. But like after this, I'm like. I've debated transitioning everyone to D&D, learning the rules of D&D. Yeah, I'm definitely... Wait, wait, so what, what do you do? It's called Savage Worlds. Oh, okay. I thought it was the same thing. Uh, no, so Savage Worlds is a set that was... is like a rule system designed to be able to better create your own worlds or like so for instance the first time i played it was with marshall uh yeah. and he created ravnica before they created the mag the dungeons and dragons magic module so we got to play like a campaign on ravnica together um and then he did like a star wars one right so it's like built to be cool cool, cool. in some ways it's cool because you like there's no classes there's no like all the items aren't like labeled by realm or whatever there's no store you get to create your own in some ways you're also like swimming in a vacuum of nothing so you like you have to do everything. So go back and forth. This looks really cool. I'm definitely motivated to try maybe doing more Dungeons and Dragons versus that. But Gelatinous Cube, like these two abilities by themselves would be hard for me to figure out like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, I get it now. Like, oh, it's it's coming down. It's engulfing a thing. And then after a while, it digests its food and it dissolves in the cube. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, like, yeah. 
And I, I, I do understand. Like, I guess my initial point was I, I, I don't hate story. People think I hate story. I think that too many keywords and too many complicated things on magic cards can get a, a little like a little much. I don't necessarily always like reading magic cards that have so much text. And if this becomes a more common thing, it definitely feels like that thing. I'm, I'm trying to I, maybe my brain gets used to it, but I, I tend to find most of the time in any set that has too much text and too many cards. I don't like opening the packs and drafting it. I, I tend to just ignore sure and not read a lot of the cards fully the, and this is this is what i'm hoping this does and, and obviously we have to get our hands on it i think this helps with that problem not hurts it i think that like on kaldheim when you have as much text as on gelatinous cube which is a lot it's hard to remember all of the things this does now i know oh it has two abilities it does two things like it all like you know like think about um uh uh questing beast right I don't still don't know all of the things that it does. If you were asking me what are all of its keywords, I think it is haste and death touch and first vigilance, strike, maybe vigilance, maybe yeah, vigilance for sure. Vigilance can't be blocked by it's not first strike like and power death touch. one or less or something. Yeah, something like that. But if it had like if it had its main keywords, can't be blocked by creatures one or less, and then like uh, always hunt, and it like always hunt makes it so it right. hits a planeswalker. Like it would it would be my brain would be way more remembering of like oh yeah, it has four abilities, not just three. <laughs> Sure. And this, like, if we're moving to a world where cards are just going to have a lot of text on them, which based on the last five sets, that seems to be the case. I think this is technology that helps at least organize all of that text into rememberable. Yeah, I get it. Chunks. I, yeah. I can see I can see both sides being valid, but yeah, I yeah. think it's but needless to say, I think well, I, no, a lot of people agree with you. There are a lot of people online that are like, no, I don't like it. This is so much. It's so complicated. It's going to make searching for abilities way harder blah 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 so it's fine uh I, I can see i can see arguments in both both directions the one thing i did want to talk about really quickly before we get out of here is uh something that just you guys are going to hear this a week afterwards but uh i have now released two songs uh, i played one of them on the end of one of our streams uh music has been a passion of mine my whole life i've been playing music since i was 12 years old and a year ago i decided to record an album and self-produce and self-finance the whole thing and so Two songs have now come out from it, and I just booked a tour. I booked a 12-city, technically 10, because two of the shows are in L.A., um, tour for the month of November, basically. And uh, most of the shows are weekends. It's mostly Thursdays and Saturdays. There's a couple Tuesdays. But I booked the whole thing to be able to essentially come and do private parties. They're all private events. They're all – I am booking a private space in a city. I'm flying in playing a show, uh, getting to hang out with you guys. It's 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 kind of like a meet and greet slash show type of thing in every single city. So if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, if you found the YouTube channel and you've ever wanted to hang out, uh, that's kind of what this is. And the tickets went on sale for the tour. The song is live on Spotify. Um, you will be able to find the link to the tickets in the description of this video. And if you're listening on audio, find me on Twitter. It's in the description of, on my Twitter. Uh, it's my the website on my Twitter is that. Um, it's also on my Instagram and there is a longer, I'm not even going to bother saying it because no one will remember it, but there's a link below. There's a link below. As, I, so, as long uh, as Ben does his job and sends Marshall the link for the link below. Which I often say I'm going to and rarely do. But this, this time, is, hopefully I do it. This is uh, me mocking him th to motivate. <laughs> That's my main motivational tool is 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 like joking ridicule. ridicule. Um, but yes, I'm super excited about it. I even I'm hoping to have friends come out to certain shows with me and, and people in the community and the space and also a lot of 
Tappy Tokla sent me a message earlier. She's going to try to go to the Chicago show. Um, lots of people in our space. I might even try to drag Alex out with me to one of these shows and see if I can get him to, you know, meet people. And, and if I do that, then I'll let you guys know uh, I, on the show which one he's going to be at. I do love meeting people. Yeah. It's like it's my be really favorite fun. thing. Ben's they're the all great end. cities. They're all great cities. I'm going to Austin. I'm going to Boston, Columbus. I'm going to New York and 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 Orlando and and Austin and Nashville and yeah, all over the U.S. So I, I do think one of like the great ironies of our friendship is that you're actually the introvert, the like person who does stuff on camera and plays guitar and does live <laughs> shows, and I'm like blatantly the extrovert, the person who like does an audio only podcast and plays nerd video <laughs> games in my apartment. So uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm super hyped. You don't have to do much convincing to get me to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last, last, last few shout outs before we finish up a thank you to our patrons. You're the reason that this, this podcast happens. We appreciate you every time. And uh, if you guys aren't, there's a whole extra bonus amount of content every week on Patreon. That's exclusive at the beginning of the audio and video podcast that we post there. And uh, this week it's all about a fast and furious uh, nine. So if you want to, here are thoughts of fast nine check that out uh also this episode is sponsored by tcg player if you look below there's a link to tcg player if you click on that it just remembers that you clicked on it don't worry about we're all being spied on by every website we've ever been on but it puts a little cookie on your on you and anything you buy from tcg player they'll know that we sent you and it helps us out so if you buy stuff on tcg player it doesn't cost you anything just please click on the link and that way it'll remember that we sent you uh so that's super helpful um and then last uh last two things i guess it on a podcast the half step down podcast uh there's a link below below with their link tree for apple podcasts that should be coming out today if not next week uh so we'll link for the next two weeks and make sure it gets out there uh, i was a super blast uh, uh if anyone follows me on tiktok it's or is on tiktok it's idolana blossoms uh boyfriend he has a cool uh, uh podcast about music and other stuff we talked about magic uh and t- making toys and other stuff so it's really cool definitely recommend checking that out and last but not least, uh, follow me on TikTok. I make a bunch of TikTok content. I post like six videos a day today, ton of D&D new set content. If you want like up-to-date reactions to Magic preview cards as they come out during preview season, that's the best place because I'm just talking about stuff all the time. I'm going to talk about Zariel Archduke of Avenues. As soon as this, we're done recording this podcast, you can go back, check that out last week. Uh, there you go. We're not going to talk about it on the podcast. It's going to be TikTok exclusive. Us talking about that. Planeswalker. Talk exclusive. Talk exclusive. Uh, and uh, thank you, uh, everyone. Yeah, we're on Twitter. That's the last place you can find us. A uh, big shout out to Marshall and Michael and Rick. Thank you for helping on the back end, making this happen. Thank you for, and thank you all of our Discord and Facebook moderators. You're the reason that those aren't giant garbage pits of problems. And we appreciate you greatly for that. We do. Uh, we and we'll listen, talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.